0: be looking this morning at 1 Samuel, again, we're going to be looking at two chapters, chapter 19 and 20, rather lengthy passage, so we won't be reading all of it, I'm going to read bits and pieces, but we'll be preaching through uh, the whole passage in uh, context. So we'll begin in chapter 19, first couple verses, and then jump over to chapter 20. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David but Jonathan Saul's son delighted much in David and Jonathan told David Saul my father seeks to kill you therefore be on your guard in the morning stay in a secret place and hide yourself and through the rest of that chapter David is delivered multiple times and we come to chapter 20 now an important meeting between Jonathan and David. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And then they put together a plan on exchanging the information, and we'll talk about that in the sermon. But at the end of the passage, we come to these last two key verses. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Thus is the reading of the Lord for us this morning. You may be seated. Since this is a relatively long passage, we're doing something a little bit different this morning. We sent a representative from the Redeemer reporter. We dusted off the time machine that Redeemer has back here behind the stage, sent him back in time to talk and interview King David at the time that these passages had just finished to get his take on things. So we lead off with the reporter. David, can I ask you a few questions? Sure, that'd be fine. I'm just finishing up here with my sheep, just kind of putting them away. Uh, David, sheep? Those, those are kind of messy, kind of below you. You still, you still deal with the sheep? Actually, yes, it, it is quite messy, and it's quite simple, but simple's not easy. We'll come back over here. But, you know, these sheep need me, and I've been given a task to take care of these, so it's important and... I take care of the sheep. Okay, I, I, I get that, but let me ask you this. Um, should I call you king, King David? I mean, it's like you are king, but you're, you're not yet. I, I, I don't quite get it. Yeah, I, I understand. I've, I've been anointed. I'm the king, but Saul's really reigning. So I'm, it's one of those kind of already, but not yet. So i tell you what, why don't, why don't you just call me David? That'll, that'll be fine for now. Okay, so now we got the groundwork laid, David. Let me, let me ask you a couple questions, and we'll get, we'll get going with the interview. The thing that stands out to me, David, in this passage is the number of times you were almost killed. I mean, this is, this is pretty dangerous, scary stuff, David. I mean, doesn't that, isn't that what struck you in what happened there? Forgot one thing. <laughs> Keyword, lead in to the next thing. Aren't you lucky, David? Actually, I'm quite reformed, so we don't talk about luck. Even though the Reformation hasn't taken place yet, there's no such thing as luck. We call it providence. Okay, thank you. But, but I get your point. I get your point. Anyway, before I tell you how God delivered me, I want to make sure something is straight, in all seriousness. The big point of this passage is not that me, David, that I'm a super role model. That was not the point here. In fact, I I sinned a lot, and I'm not proud of that. The important point is that God was the one who chose me, and by his grace, he delivered me over and over again because I was part of his plan. I was part of his uh, his purpose. And you could probably call this a, a, a deliverance of the deliverer. I was to deliver Israel, but God had to deliver me many times. So it was a deliverance of the deliverer. Ah, deliverance of the deliverer, that, that title will work. I can, I can write that. I like that. That'll make for a good story. And, and, and this sounds kind of scary, all these death defying escapes and so forth. Tell me more about that, David. Well, I, I would first have to confess that indeed fear definitely got the best of me many times. It was quite scary. In fact, the first instance that you heard read there, where Saul actually told his son Jonathan that I was going to be killed. Saul told Jonathan that. But fortunately for me, Jonathan and I were what you guys might call BFFs. We were best friends forever. So Jonathan was on my side, and he stood up for me. Saul, because of Jonathan's testimony on my behalf, he said, all right, David will never die. I swear it. Now, from the past, we know about Saul's swearing and his honesty. So I knew to be on my guard that that wasn't a done deal. But, and you might want to put this in your story, one, one application that I would point out in this is simply this. God had blessed me with a great loyal friend in Jonathan. And I would encourage you to find that same loyal friend or a couple or be that kind of loyal friend to someone else. The Proverbs that my son will later write talk about there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I would encourage you to be that. That's what Jonathan was for me. In his extreme humility even though he was the king's son the crown prince he always treated me in such a way that I felt like I was so much more important because of his humility and because of that loyalty we had with each other so I would encourage you to have that with someone else so that first escape wasn't that difficult but we knew something else was coming and sure enough it did Saul takes another throw with his spear at me. Fortunately, his aim isn't so good. I get away. And one night, I end up at my home, what I thought would be the safety of my own home. But Saul sends men to capture me in the night. They say blood runs thicker than water. Fortunately, not in this case, because my wife, Michael, who was actually the king's daughter, she was more on my side. She looked out for me. What she did was she in the bed, put several idols, covered them up with a blanket, made it look like I was there, and gave me time to escape. Saul's henchmen come. They uncover the bed. They're angry, throw it around, ask where I've gone. Michael tells them a tale about where I've gone, giving me further time to get away. Uh, David, can I interrupt for a minute here? Did, did you just say something about idols and and? basically a lie there. All right, uh, can we pretend you didn't hear that part? Don't, don't put that in the story. Is that okay? Can we just strike that? I'd, I'd have to admit, I'm not proud of everything I did, and I, and I don't mean to be flippant, but I actually sinned a lot worse than that at many times. But as a later Puritan would say, simply this, it's not falling into the water that drowns someone. It's laying in the water after you've fallen that drowns you. In other words, it's not the sin that you commit that kills you or condemns you, but it's laying there in your sin without repenting that does the condemning. So when I sin, I truly seek to repent. Again, I'm not the ultimate role model, but I do try to repent when I sin. And I'll confess as well that I might have lacked some faith too. But this is, again, more about God's plan in his deliverance. So thereafter, that second deliverance, there were a couple more. What happened was I fled in my fear off to hide out with Samuel in his home. Saul sends some men again to get me. Samuel's prophets go out to meet the men And Saul's prophets, clearly by divine work of the Lord, they begin prophesying as well. Totally lose track of why they were there to get me. Saul hears about it and figures, okay, if you want a job done, well, you better do it yourself. He launches out, comes to get me himself, and wouldn't you know it, he meets up with the prophets and gets the prophesying disease himself. So I was rescued again. So, David, it looks like that takes us through chapter 19 and, and many deliverances. In chapter 20, is, is there more deliverance in chapter 20 there? I mean, over and over, you're delivered. You must have been feeling pretty invincible. You're like, uh, you know, you, you get hit and you just bounce back. You're like the, uh, the old-timey Rocky Balboa or something. Well, don't know Rocky, but there certainly was more deliverance, I'd have to say. But before I talk directly about that, I'd have to point this out. One of the reasons that God delivered me over and over was because I was the king to be. And therefore, God was seeking to protect me. What about you? Does that mean anything for you as far as the protection goes? Well, yes and no. The ultimate hope for you and, and any other believer is not that God would physically de- deliver you from every difficulty that you face. That, in a sense, is the health and wealth gospel. And it doesn't agree with Scripture. That is not what God promises to deliver us from every physical harm. All we need to do is see around the world that the, the, the many Christians who are persecuted and martyred for the sake of the gospel. But in the end, in the end, the bigger promise is that there's a Savior there's a Savior to come who will in the end deliver us from death and what we call in the Old Testament sheol from the grave and that he is ultimately our hope there. But let me, let me ask you this, Mr. Reporter, since you said that I was feeling invincible, which I've said is not really the case, I had many fears, what, what do you tend to fear yourself, yourself? Well, let me tell you, I, I mean, honestly, it, it depends on the day. I've got all kinds of fears. Uh, it could be that I'm going to lose my job. After all, I'm not necessarily the best reporter. I don't write the best. I don't always ask the best questions. And if I lose my job, i got a lot of mouths at home to feed, and they'll be in trouble. And then I'll lose all my savings. And my last health checkup wasn't so good, so I don't feel so good about that. And then the country's election coming up, I don't know what's going to happen there. It's going to be a mess. And then I realize I've got so many fears that I'm afraid I've got too many fears and then I'm afraid that I'm never going to get out of all these fears. Whoa. You, uh, you probably do need some counseling. And, and I'm just kidding. In a sense, it's good. You and I can relate. Day in and day out, I was in fear myself. And there are those who would say that they, they don't have any fear at all. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. There's nothing to be afraid of. And that would be I think relative to what Shakespeare, one of your later writers, would say, he jests at scars who never felt a wound. He jests at scars who never felt a wound. So we all have them. And I'm not saying that fears are good. I'm not saying that fears are good. But we actually have them at one time or another. And what, what do we do with them? So me, personally, I got into a relatively bad place where day in, day out, I was living in fear for my life, on the run, repeatedly. So I ask you this, what do you do, what do you do when your fears set in? And if I could have you focus on one word in this chapter, our key word is the one for covenant love or covenant faithfulness. In the Hebrew, chesed, And so in the Hebrew, if I really said that, well, I'd I'd spit on you, kesed, but I won't do that to you. Steadfast love, steadfast faithfulness. Our covenant God is one who has said, I will have a people. You will be my people. I will be your God. That is what the covenant is about, and live in the faithfulness of that. As the Savior yet to come would say, obey me, or if you love me. Keep my commandments. Same kind of thing there with that obedience. Anyway, you would have thought after all the deliverance, the multiple times of God delivering me, I wouldn't be afraid. But it wasn't the case. I confess again, I was desperate. When I was desperate, I ran. I ran to a friend. When we are desperate, when we're in our fears, we all run to something. Could be an addiction, could be something not so good for us but we run to something. Ultimately, that should be the Lord that we run to. In my case, I ran to that faithful friend, to Jonathan, who was the picture of God's covenant faithfulness to me. And we had made a covenant between the two of us that you saw in that chapter, based on friendship, based on loyalty, even based on blood that one of us uh, would, would die if we broke it. We were faithful to each other. This was a deep, important covenant where our lives were on the line so david let me ask you this what how does how does that covenant faithfulness uh, make a difference in your in the day-to-day life what difference does it make well i'd, I'd say this uh, multiple things but the first one was this i needed to know why saul was so desperate to kill me and and i and i said i needed i wanted I wanted to know that. And why do I say that? Because when we are desperate and we're in a trial, a a severe trial, so often if we can just know the why behind it, we can make it through the trial. If I just know why this suffering is taking place, I can make it through there. And therefore, I wanted to know the why. In hindsight, I realized even though God gave me that answer, there are times that we don't know the why of the trial. And yet God says, walk with me through it. Trust me and walk with me through it even though you don't get the why. In this case, I did. I was blessed with the why. I sent Jonathan on my behalf to the royal dinner to talk to Saul. And, and, and it was simply this. If Saul got angry that I wasn't there, I knew I needed to depart and go away. If Saul was friendly I knew I could come back. Jonathan, in his desire to to be such a good friend to me, to protect me, he actually made a bit of a mistake in what he told Saul. When Saul asked where I was, uh, Jonathan, in his words, said that I had requested to let me get away. When Saul heard that, likely triggered in his mind, giving him a clue that I knew Saul was after me, and why I had left, nevertheless, he exploded, clearly angry, called his own son some ridiculous names, pointed out to to Jonathan that he was going to lose the kingdom, that I was going to have it, and that was clearly why Saul was so mad, was he was trying to grasp and hold on to what was no longer his and make it his, and he was fighting against God in the end. John, uh, Saul even threw a spear at his own son. His own son tried to kill him. At that point, I guess Jonathan finally got the picture that things quite, weren't quite right with his old man. So one other question. What was, what was with the odd plan with you and Jonathan and the arrows shooting it and some sort of signal of what to do and so forth? Well, Yeah, to be honest there, people make a little bit too much out of that. What happened was, the the simple point was, if Jonathan and I talked together, then and, and I left and escaped, Jonathan would have been an accomplice, and his neck would have been on the line. So we simply devised a plan where he would give me a signal so I would know what to do. Shoots the arrow, it goes beyond, he says verbally what the signal was, I knew I needed to depart. But there was a boy there, The boy was the witness that we wouldn't have talked, that we hadn't talked. When the boy left, then we were free to talk. So we were able uh, to talk uh, afterwards. And it was an important conversation. In that conversation, key was, Jonathan was more godly than I was myself. I was so concerned in my fear about the present, Jonathan was more concerned about the future and about looking after his son and lineage to come. He was willing to give up the kingdom and his right to the kingship for me because he was ultimately about the Lord's will. And I learned that from him. The one thing he bound me to was to look after one of his sons. And something that I had the honor to do years later was to care for his crippled son, Mephibosheth brings tears to my eyes even to still recall that, that I would have the blessing to look after his son after Jonathan was gone. Well, David, I would, I would say thank you for that interview. It, it, it made for a great story. I'll be able to write that up. So we, we appreciate that. And so, brothers and sisters, I wanted to just summarize and, and kind of uh, go deeper on a couple things that we heard from our past King David that would apply to us today. And the first would be this. When we talk about fears, I have a a friend who's a pastor, and one of the things he said is, lately, he's done a lot of counseling of those in his congregation. And a lot of the counseling is around younger folks, the millennials. And the interesting thing he points out about them is, by and large, the main thing that they come to him for is fear. That they are in fear. Now, for them, The fear is so often they have so many choices that they're afraid to commit to one thing because of the fear that they're gonna miss out on everything else that they lost because they chose this. So then they are in a stuck in a fear to commit to anything. So maybe that's one of the fears we face. It could be fear of failure, could be fear of the unknown. Could be fear of the effects of a past sin that still raise its head, such as a blown marriage. Even though it's been forgiven, covered by the blood of Christ, maybe it rears its head again and causes us fear and pain. And what do we do that do with that? So many times, our fear boils down to, to a lack of control. Whether it's a child who's got a fear of the dark because they don't know what's going to come out of the closet or from under the bed to us because of that past sin that we don't know what effects it's going to have in the future and we can't control it. And that causes us fear because we want the control. But what, what is the answer in this passage that we see to our fear Our rescue from fear, our deliverance from not knowing the future is through covenant faithfulness. And how do we see that? What do I mean? Look at the last verse of the passage, that last key verse of the passage. As they're departing, what does Jonathan say to David? Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we've sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord. Jonathan told David, Go in peace, because now you won't be attacked anymore. It's all good. You have my blessing. You're safe. Ah, You can rest. You no? Know? Next several chapters, David's on the run for his life. He's got enemies coming out of the rocks. Saul won't give up for anything. So how in the world can Jonathan say to him, go in peace? What, what in the world? I mean, David's life is on the line, but go in peace. The reason the reason he can have peace is because it's even more important than life and death. He's saying, go in peace because you and I have peace, because in this covenant you have been faithful with me, and that's more important than life and death. That's more important than achieving goals. That's more important than all the Olympic medals you could win. It's more important than climbing the corporate ladders. More important than being most popular. It's about fulfilling the promise that he had with Jonathan and being faithful in that. David is going to take care of Jonathan in the days to come through his son. And Jonathan takes care of David by choosing him over his own father. As we heard in the passage where it said, Jesus said, you must love me more than mother, father, brother, sister. Jonathan showed us that. Where he was willing to give up his right to the king because he knew God's hand is upon David. I am for you. And that was their covenant faithfulness. And that was more important to honoring that than whether they lived or died. So, so what about us? What about us? When I think, when I think of covenant faithfulness, <clears throat> I think of Dr. Robert McQuilkin, former president CIU, Columbia International University, right down in Columbia, South Carolina. In the prime of his career, reigning as president over the university, doing an excellent job, he holds a short, powerful news conference and says, I'm stepping away from being president. Of course, it wasn't because of sin. It wasn't because of scandal. He said, my wife, Muriel, she has supported me and cared for me for 40 years. But now she's in the last stages of, of Alzheimer's. And when she's with me, she's happy. When she's not, she's sad. Therefore, I am going to care for her. So his covenant faithfulness was to step away from a career, a good thing, where he's doing great. Make the simple decision, care for my wife, in covenant faithfulness. Simple, but not easy, but the right thing in the faithfulness for him to do. So what does it look like for us, brothers and sisters? Will our fears lead us away or drive us to Christ in covenant faithfulness. Again, so often our fear is a a fear because we have a lack of control. We can't control everything, but God can, and He has shown us in the end His control of the end through Christ. Through Christ He has given us assurance of what will happen in the end. Yesterday, my, my youngest daughter went went skating for the first time. And they had this, for me, it looked like a new invention, never seen it before. It was like a, a walker for little kids to get out there on the roller skater rink, roller skating, roller skating rink. So she's out there pushing that thing around on the on the roller skates. She could still fall. Okay, this isn't the ultimate protection. It's still kind of scary being out there for the first time. But she's got something holding her hand, in a sense, there. So for us, the Lord, Jesus, is saying, I'm not going to take away everything that's scary. I'm not going to take away everything that's dangerous. But I'm going to be with you. I'm holding your hand. I'm the anchor in the storm, even though times you don't feel it. So Christ is our deliverer, even though and because... He wasn't delivered Himself and He went to the cross. Christ is faithful to us in and out though His friends deserted Him and weren't faithful to Him. Christ was our perfect perfect covenant keeper even though we have broken covenant so many times. He is the only way to put aside our fears. The only way to go in peace is through Christ. As Jonathan told David, go in peace. Our peace, our ability to go in peace is because of our covenant keeper. Would you pray with me? Lord, our, our fears are hard stuff. And for those of us in a, in a good season where say, oh, there's, there's not that much. I'm fearing right now. Things are good may they yet turn their eyes to You and say, Thank You, Lord. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. For those of us in the midst of struggles and fears, may we know that the One who said, I will never leave you or forsake you, is always with us. Because You promise You cannot lie, Lord Jesus. And may we all the more depend on You day in, day out give us that blessing jesus in your name we pray amen please stand as we close our time of worship